The next Brand Growth Heroes episode is coming right up. But before you listen, just a quick reminder. If you or anyone you know is the smart founder of a fast scaling consumer goods brand and you'd like to join a cohort of 10 other founders to really hone your growth strategy, then check out the Growth Strategy Program on fionafitzconsulting.com forward slash online courses. Next cohort starts June 1st and we're taking bookings now. Welcome to Brand Growth Heroes, the podcast that explores how insurgent brands in consumer goods categories are driving transformational growth. Here our guests talk not only about their brand purpose or why, but also how where they play, who they employ, and how they work has driven their incredible success. Minor Figures is the secret success story and insurgent brand that I hadn't come across before now. At its origin, a coffee business that was started in 2013 by barista friends Stu Forsyth, Will Rickson and Jonathan Shue, Minor Figures now has retail sales of around £30 million, employing 71 people across three offices worldwide and selling in over 25 countries across the globe. Although originally born in coffee and in food service, since 2019 a tremendous amount of growth in its sales has come from the oat milk category in grocery retail. I spoke to commercial director Ben Veer, who along with his team has been behind much of this transformational growth. Ben Veer, Minor Figures, the secret success story I knew nothing about. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Where are you calling in from? Thanks, V. I'm calling in from North London. I'm in my office at home. Luckily, I've been actually able to go into our into our offices through this uh, lockdown. But today I'm, I'm at home, so you've, you've got my full attention. The door's closed, we won't be interrupted. Hopefully. Fabulous. Well, listen, I'm so excited to talk to you today about minor figures because, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I had no idea. First of all, I didn't know what minor figures was. I hadn't come across it. I had certainly had no idea how big you were. And the reasons I'm really interested to share your story with our listeners is there's something really interesting about your brand positioning. And just as a kind of a teaser on that, your brand doesn't position itself as the hero, which is really interesting. Uh, your product journey, there's been a few pivots along the way, and that's been really fascinating. Your channel journey, you're one of the few brands who has made a successful kind of move from food service, a really strong food service business into a strong retail and food service business. And now you're doing fabulous export growth. So there's so much we can learn from your journey. So for those of our listeners who haven't, like me, come across Minor Figures before, tell us, what is it? Where can we find you? What kind of products do you have? And what does it look like? Yeah, so we started in 2014. We were founded by three friends, uh, two, two Aussies and a Brit, founded here in London. We play across three categories. So we have a range of um, oat milks. We roast, ground and sell whole bean and uh, ground coffee. And we make a range of ready-to-drink cans of iced coffee or, or cold brew coffee on the go. We play across quite a few areas. So you'll find us in retailers like uh, Waitrose and Morrison's online at Ocado, but also in the UK, we're in over four and a half thousand coffee shops. So wow. a really big sort of percentage of the, the, the coffee uh, scene. And in terms of retail sales value this year, we'll hit 20 million. So 20 million, 20 million in retail sales value. Is this mainly on which SKUs? This is mainly uh, or which dairy category? alternatives. Okay, and just to hold it up for everyone who might recognise it, you've got it too. Woohoo! I've got it too. You've yeah. got it too. There's some of the range. 
so mainly in, you know, I mean, all of our, our, our portfolios are different, but mainly one litre skimmed semi-oat milk, organic oat milk and full oat milk. Yeah, exactly. So we've got two two product formats. So we've got the one litre Tetra Pak, which has been out since 2017. Uh, we've got three products there, like you, you say, a, a, a barista, a, a semi-skimmed and an organic. They're all made in the UK. We're really proud of that fact. And they're really designed for coffee. And then the other format we have is a 10 litre uh, bag in box, which we, we've set up refill stations across package-free stores. So we've got 101 stores in the UK now, package-free stores, that you can go into with your, your own bottle or container and fill up, fill up your oat milk and pay by the, uh, pay by the milliliter. That's amazing. That's amazing. And we'll come to that, I think, towards the end when we're talking about your latest growth into export and expansion and what the future is. So I want to hold that thought. But just for everybody listening, so you're in three categories, across three categories. You're across food service and retail. And later on, we'll talk about you're also across a few different countries, aren't you? I mean, mainly the UK, but Australia and some other countries in Europe too, right? That's right. Yeah. Tw- 24 countries. I did my maths this morning. Unbelievable. Okay. So Ben, you're commercial director of this company and you've got, you know, you've had a really nice career in family business, in big food, in smaller insurgent brand foods. You've worked for some of the guests we've had on the show. Yeah. Um, who have you worked for that we've had on the show? Yeah, I worked at the snacking brand Bear yeah. for I- Ishan Paran, who's a general manager at um, Oatly. Uh, so a competitor now, actually. Yeah. Um, but uh, that was a great growth journey. I know Ishan's covered a lot of that previously, but th- that really taught me a lot about kind of category building and real brand building really from the ground up right through to the big Tesco's of this world. So let's talk about brand, right? Because one of the things that really interests me about Minor Figures is you guys are incredibly modest about where the purpose of your brand, right? Talk to us about what the purpose of, and I particularly mean, you know, what your brand is all about in terms of functionality. Yeah, so um, we started out with the cans of coffee. So we sort of roast and ground and then cold brewed our own coffee in East London um, in a little warehouse uh, in Hackney. Speciality coffee is, is what we use and we prioritise. So we're, we're, when we're talking speciality, we're thinking about the origins of that coffee, how it's grown, the altitudes and temperature. When we're sourcing the coffee, we're we're cupping it and Q grading it for quality to check, um, as you would with a wine, that it it tastes um, uh, as we want it with all the right flavour notes, and then cold brewing it and putting it into cans. And that that was our first sort of foray into products. And that range um, originally actually had milk in it. Um, so we had a latte, we had a, a mocha that were made with UHG milk. And then, yeah, it was around 2017, our founders actually changed their own sort of dietary preferences um, to a plant-based diet. So we developed a liquid that complemented the coffee. Ah. And it just so happened that oat, oat happened to be the best for that because it's it's a very neutral flavor. It's, one, it's also a flavor that in Western Europe and the Western Hemisphere, we're, we're really um, familiar with the flavor of oat. Soy is sometimes a bit of a strange flavor for some folks, but um, oat was very neutral. So, so yeah, we, we changed up the range of cans we had. At the time, they were in Sainsbury's and Selfridges, as well as the fridges in lots of coffee shops. Uh, and that's really when the business kind of exploded. People loved the oat milk, so we brought it out as a standalone product. 
and I guess it's different to everyone else because it's not trying to replicate dairy. It's not trying to taste like dairy uh, or have the same texture as dairy. It's it's really uh, been designed as a, com a complementary product to coffee. So we could, in theory, we could call it oat juice or coffee coffee substitute or I, I don't know we could give coffee it a compliment coffee compliment but um it you know oat milk is a is a category language that we sort of play into so basically your product is to make something else taste or perform better absolutely yeah so so yeah we we actually say i've got the pack in front of me and we say on it that the uh, minor figures heroes the true flavor profile of your coffee so it doesn't it doesn't um dull the flavor it doesn't um mess with the flavor it's very neutral and if you if you really care about the flavor of coffee and the whole sourcing and origin process then it does seem a bit counterintuitive to just pour something into that cup that sort of takes the flavor away Mm -hmm. so I was that's... saying that to you on our prep call, wasn't I, that I get teased by some of my friends here who have a coffee roastery and a, and a sourdough bakery. And they say that I don't drink coffee at all because I fill it full of milky soya milk, sweetened soya milk. <laughs> they say I just drink basically a hot milkshake, yeah, a coffee flavoured milkshake. And I suppose it's true, but, you know, I think I missed because of um, my age, I missed that whole, you know, coffee becoming cool generation and I'm still a Starbucks a Starbucks girl which is desperate that really shows my age so your product is out there to hero the coffee and what's really interesting is that you dropped the dairy what year was that again that was in 2017 right so not that long ago what size was the business around 2017 when you were still mainly selling coffee and um, coffee in tetra packs at that point wasn't it yeah, I've I've gone back to the the archives. I went and asked the founders. Um, we we were at five people. Okay. So three of those were founders. So we had two two other employees. We've got seventy today. So we're up to seventy now. Jesus. And we were we were well under a million. So I think we were sub sort of seven hundred k of rev in twenty seventeen. So in four years, you've gone from under a million to twenty million in sales. Yeah, it's it's a it's a terrifyingly fast-growing category, um, as, as I'm sure you're aware. But you know, if you get it right, the 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 volume that goes through a coffee shop or, or, the, or the rates of sale on a supermarket shelf are just absolutely massive. You know, having come from play, brands like Bear or even you know big brands like Mars, um, some of the rates of sale we we're seeing, you know, would have been unusual in those businesses. So is that because and this is something actually I'm always saying to clients or people who are doing my growth strategy program. You know, if you get into a category that people consume every day, you're going to have a lot more sales than a category that people buy as a gift a couple of times a year or as a treat once a month. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, the price is different, but people are buying this every day. Right. So what kind of I mean, just to whet my appetite in any of the categories I would work in, generally, you'd be looking at you know, two cases per store per week if you're lucky. So that might be 12 or that might be, yeah, probably 12 SKUs per store per week. What are you guys looking at in general? You don't have to give us... Yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you, it's not unusual in dairy alternatives in, in retail to see uh, rates of sale, you know, hit sort of 60, 70, you know, uh, some stores over 100... Per SKU? Uh, ...units per, per store, per SKU per week. Wow. And a coffee shop can get through anything from from sort of ten to twenty, maybe more cartons a week as well. 
you know, there's there are so many usage occasions for um, dairy alternatives. The, the the top being hot drinks, but closely sort of followed by breakfast occasions. You got people using them in sort of smoothies and protein shakes and baking. So there are several moments in the day where a, a consumer might use a dairy alternative. It's amazing, isn't it? So that's another thing, isn't it, to say to people out there thinking about entering categories, whether that's innovating into a category they're not already in or thinking about their startup business, you know, have a think about how often during the day people are going to use this product or use this category anyway, um, as well as how many times a week they use it, let alone how many times a month they use it. Uh, so, okay, so one of the interesting things, there's a load of interesting things. So you pivoted out of milk in 2017, right? And what happened then? Yeah, the, the brand went through a bit of a, uh, of a refresh as well. So um, our branding is, um, is very stripped back intentionally. All of the packs feature characters uh, on, on the front, which are all very different and very open to self-interpretation. People, people sort of see themselves in the characters. So I'm just holding one up here now. Who have we got here? That's Penny on okay. the front of our um, our oat milk range. Um, so we get sent, you know, we get sent hundreds and hundreds of photos of people posing as Penny and things. Oh, really? They look like Penny or their neighbour does or their oh, boyfriend that's so funny. does. Um, and yeah, really the branding is, and the design is a real exercise in self-restraint. The packs only use two colours. The designs are very simplistic. The logo is is just Arial font stretched out. You know, it's not some kind of overly designed uh, piece piece of design. And and although we don't want to sort of cartoonify the brand, it, it, we're not trying to be Tony the Tiger on the front of the packs. Um, we do want to have a bit of fun as well. So, so all of this kind of simple aesthetics is that, you know, and this is maybe getting a bit brandy RC here for anyone out there who thinks marketing can be a load of fluff, but is that because, you know, you guys are taking the back seat to coffee. So there's no point in shouting because you're the minor figure. So even your aesthetics are the minor figure. Precisely. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And I think um, as a team, you know, as a, as a person, as a business, we are pretty, we feel pretty fatigued at being sold to, you know, kind of bombarded with Instagram adverts or walking down the street and, you know, kind of huge billboards and sure. everywhere we go, we feel kind of very sold to and we're feeling quite fatigued and switched off. Um, so I think that's why the, this kind of um, self-interpretation around the brand, people, people can sort of, people can treat it as a cult brand if they want and some people do and they get tattoos or they can you know say their friends look like people on the packs or or they can just have it in their cup of coffee. So a question then how do you go about I mean you're head of sales really you know besides being head of the commercial function how do you go about selling what's the principles behind selling a brand that you know is representing the part of society that's sick of being sold to and who wants to buy minor figures? Why do people want to buy minor figures? Yeah, so I think the the, this, the whole sales strategy is is that coffee first approach in towns and cities and countries we go to. We find out the best roasters, the best coffee shops, the kind of places we would want to spend time in, and we look we look to uh, gain a sort of foothold first there. And it's a really soft sales process, and you know I, I'm really proud of having a team of. You know, I, I would happily, I'm not towing a party line here, I would happily go out for a pint with, or, or a flat white with anyone in, in the team. And, you know, it's a really likable, approachable team. We don't do the hard sell. We don't knock other brands. 
brand bashing is kind of uh, a absolute cardinal sin in our business. Um, so, but you know what what we'll do is if we have the time to with a coffee shop that we approach, we'll we'll do almost a, a mini tasting session, a kind of cupping session where we we try their product with our oat milk, without it, with other dairy alternatives, and really demonstrate that our product lets their coffee shine through. And that that's our first approach, and then and then scaling that up into retail is obviously very different because we can't sit every every Tesco or Waitrose shopper down with a with a, a cup. No. Of so how does that work? Yeah, it's 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 really different, and it's 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 very traditional approach. Actually, we we pay a lot of focus and attention to merchandising and um, compliance and store visits and point of sale activation and advertising if we do or marketing if we do as close to the store as possible. So is it about excellent execution? Yeah, absolutely. And and it is too in a way in coffee shops, you know, because we'll go and we'll we'll give the baristas merchandise. They'll they'll have our swag as we call it, our kind of t-shirts, our beanies, our we'll give them keep cups. We'll give the shelf stackers in Waitrose minor figures gloves because their hands get cold and they get cracked and damaged. We used to do that in Goo in Goo France years ago. Big yeah. Goo gloves. It's real traditional approaches. And then even in independent retail, you know, if you were to be walking through East London right now, a lot of the convenience stores in East London have had their windows wrapped by minor figures, which in a really sort of playful kind of with all the characters. And uh, that sort of was a nod to lockdown and helping out retailers and coffee shops during lockdown, you know, actually taking their windows as advertising space and giving them some cash in return when when they've been closed. So has anyone done that before, Ben? Have people do people wrap windows? People do. I mean, it tends to be sort of Libra mobiles and SIM free mobiles sort of. Um, yeah, I've never seen it in grocery. I should have reframed the question. I mean, has it been done in convenience grocery before? Yeah, I definitely think we're we're kind of breaking grounds uh, there. That's amazing. And it's really exciting and, and really take going neighborhood by neighborhood. And um, like I say, we're not we're not in a re- really overt way trying to sell to people. The designs are very much our characters. They're very colorful. They're very kind of fun. So one of the things that really fascinates me is, you know, you've got this success story. So when you went into grocery, what year was that then when you started the real push on grocery? That was when I joined and I, I joined the business in sort of October 19. Right. So we, we, we began really building our strategy out. Actually, we went first with Holland Barrett and Ocado and built up from there. So you go to every next retailer, do you go with the success story of what's happened before? But then you start going into the bigger retailers where you have, you know, a really well-developed Dairy Alternatives chiller, um, massive presence of Alpro and then increasing presence and now massive presence of Oatly. But yet you still get listed. Why is a buyer listing you guys from a kind of a shopper needs state? Because they only make decisions based on gaps in their shopper needs state, you know, category, whatever. Why are they choosing you guys to go in that profitable space? Yeah, it's a good question. And and our first proper grocery launch was in July last year, and that was Waitrose, and that was followed by Morrison's in January this year. I guess we one of the one of the sort of things I picked up actually at Bear was um that, you know, everybody is gonna go in and say they've got the best brand, they've got the best product, we've got the best designs, we can throw cash at you. You know, those things are pretty imitatable and the you just see sort of new entrants replicating those conversations over and over again. 
Uh, we pay a lot of um, focus and attention to category data. So even though we are, I say we're 70 people globally, we're, we're still a relatively small team, especially up against some of those big brands you mentioned. So we'll, we'll go in with, with the, you know, we think this is a great product. We've got great marketing story, but we'll also balance that out with a real category driven approach of, you know, you're underserving this particular group of customers. Uh, we've got a proven track record and this rate of sale in X retailer. Uh, and, and we can add value through doing these these things. So we'll use IRI and Kantar for that that side of our kind of argument. What we're saying, though, is that minor figures serve the need state that for a particular group of shoppers that the other brands are not necessarily serving. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're, we're made in the UK very proudly. Some of those brands you've mentioned aren't at the moment. We are recognised as a real um, sort of, leader in specialty coffee and you know we know there's 22,000 UK coffee shops they those folks that are buying their coffee every morning they they want to they want to replicate that at home as well particularly in lockdown you know we've seen people like Pratt have launched a frozen range into Tesco and you know Pizza Express many years ago launched into retail people want to bring those out of home occasions back home they, they want to have that great cup of coffee in the morning or you know between zoom calls so I, I think, you know, we, we can really help customers do that. And also those other brands you mentioned, uh, those are kind of legacy brands and they've been around for quite some time now. And uh, buyers really need to future-proof their category and uh, continue to add value back into the top of the funnel. Sure. And people want to be buying the new insurgent brand each time. And <clears throat> certainly you're product looks way cooler on my table or in my fridge, <laughs> then yeah, I'm sorry. Alpro anyway, I won't, I, I think it's quite cool, but it looks way cooler than Alpro, um, which obviously That's is, fair. yeah, well, it does. It's way too cool for me, I have to say. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to buy it so I can live aspirationally, but I live out in the sticks. So that's, you know, probably another reason why I hadn't come across you guys, because um, obviously it's been a year since I've been to London or Dublin or anywhere. Vaguely cool. Not that the Isle of Man is not cool, everybody. <laughs> so, okay. So you, 2019, October, you joined the business and the business was around what size then? Well, we've we've at least doubled in the last year. So it, it, it would have been a uh, retail sales value. This is globally under eight, under 8 million. And it, it's interesting having a global business because all the different parts of it are at a different cadence in their sort of sales journey. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. And how do you manage that? Um, a really great team, I think, that has a handle on on kind of the nuances of their own market. So we've got we've got a team out in Australia that are really smashing it, and uh, you know we we're close to 100% retail distribution. I know it's a duopoly as a market, but it's um, we've really had a lightning fast um, charge at uh, retail in Australia, which has been fantastic. Wow. We've also got a team out in um, in the States. So we've got some folks east and west coast, so New York and LA. And we're really not, we're past the start of the journey, we're, but we're very early on in, in the US at the moment and just starting to roll out into um, retail actually next week into Whole Foods in the US, which is one of our first sort of big retail launches uh, over there, which is really exciting for the team. Can, that's amazing. Congratulations. Are you in all Whole Foods stores or? 
We're starting with um, Mid-Atlantic, which is uh, just under 60 stores. Um, and then we've got a few kind of similar groups like Fresh Time, who've got 70 stores and, and, and a few others. But it's such a vast space to play in. Unbelievable, unbelievable. So you've doubled the business or you and your team have doubled the business since you joined. Have you had to double the amount of people who are working on that or how has it gone for you? Yeah, and we we, we have. I mean, you know the 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 complexities of supply chain and and finance and the kind of all the the back end servicing of, of all that new business that you scoop up is really really fundamental to sort of keeping the show on the road so we've certainly grown from that perspective we've grown our product range as well as our revenue so we're at 14 SKUs now and i think i think we're about 7 SKUs when I did join. So again, we've kind of doubled that range. And what kind of SKUs have these been? Why extra SKUs? Yeah. So we we started out with, in terms of the oat milk, just the white pack, the barista standard um, or original kind of um, oat milk. And, and then we, we, we sort of found that a lot of our consumers are very um, conscious of the environment, are very conscious of their, their diets, are very conscious of origin of, of um, ingredients and, and products. So it made sense to, to extend the range into an organic skew, which is actually proved really successful. And then we brought the semi-skimmed out in January. Uh, again, that's a bit of a nod to dairy alternatives, um, unfortunately, can be quite high in sugar content. Um, because of the process, you're hydrolyzing soybeans or oats or whatever the ingredient is so that hydrolyzation process you know results in you needing to have a level of sugar in there which albeit is natural it's not added refined sugar but your your sugar levels are still quite high so we we wanted to future proof what we think is important to our customers which is why we brought our semi-skimmed um skew out and then we've also extended the range of cans uh that we've got as well so yeah, I think it's part need state, part kind of wanting to continue to move forward and innovate in this space. Thinking ahead. Yeah. If you've enjoyed this podcast so far, then please do share it on social media and take a minute or two to write a review on iTunes. It would make a big difference in allowing us to interview even more super guests with great advice that can transform how you do business. Just a question, two questions in terms of I'm thinking about people listening to this and they're thinking about, right, if my business is going to explode in growth that quickly, right? Um, the first thing is that you'd mentioned Cantor data. It was Cantor and what was the other data you tend to um, use? An IRI. An IRI. At what point in revenue or growth terms do you start investing seriously in that kind of data? You know, because people say, oh, I could never afford that. Yeah, it's it's not it's not cheap. It, it's expensive, and um, also you need to know what to do with the data. Yeah, that's a biggie. Yeah, so whether you sort of um, are able to sort of frame the narrative yourself, and you're able to to work on the data yourself, or whether you you work with somebody external, um, is is quite important. But let's imagine you know you can do that, or that Cantor is going to help you. You know, when you're under a million in revenue, are you doing that, or are you waiting till you're eight million in revenue? Yeah, I think you you can be doing that. It depends what the profile of your business is. So if you've already got a retailer on board, be it a Holland, a Barra, a, you know, a Sainsbury's, a Tesco, and a Cardo, when you have a retailer on board and you're 
you're not just kind of selling into independence and just into food service. You're able to see yourself in the data, which is really important, and to draw some some uh, insights from that. And you're able to to frame some arguments and some narrative. But I think if, until you're in some retailers, uh, it's it's perhaps not the best use of cash. No, but when you are in some retailers, I think the thing is then you have to see it not as a massive spend, you know, that it's wasted money. It's like, okay, if I spend this 60K or whatever it is, am I going to make 600K over the next 18 months? And well, at least in top line revenue, am I going to generate, you know, an extra two listings that'll bring me 600K? That's, you know, 10X. Exactly. So I think I think I would always sort of you know, when I'm sort of drawing up my budgets and stuff, I'd always sort of justify it by saying, you know, would we pay five grand to get a Tesco listing? Well, yeah, we would. Okay, so this this makes total sense to invest in, right? Because, and again, you're you're not going to use the data necessarily with just one retailer. You might you might use it as your selling story for ten retailers. So it's it's then really worth it. So. Absolutely, and obviously that example of five grand for Tesco was totally made up. It was, yeah. <laughs> Because nobody pays for listings. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Ever. Um, so the other question I wanted to ask you was recruitment, right? So if you're growing that quickly, how do you make sure, because a lot of scaling businesses, the ones that do well think ahead in terms of what jobs are going to need to be done in the next 12 months. And then they imagine what roles might do those jobs and imagine what kind of people need to fill those roles. And they think ahead because recruitment takes time finding the people. People have got notice periods too, and then they've got training periods etc. before they're up to speed of things. What's your philosophy, Ben, on that? Because you're probably in charge of quite a big team now. Yeah, it's um it is it's a really difficult balancing act because I think do you invest ahead of the curve or do you are you always sort of chasing your tail a little bit? And I think um one thing that's great about minor figures is um being in the coffee community is a really friendly community. I I would imagine I've not worked in it, but I would imagine the sort of craft beer kind of craft brewery industry is, is maybe a, a similar parallel. Um, lots, it's, it's very interconnected. Lots of people know each other. Um, lots of people move around a lot in these kind of, um, in, in this industry. Um, and I think we're, we're often being, uh, introduced to people that are kind of looking to move out of being a barista or they want to move out of being an account manager for a coffee company and, and, have we got any gigs going? Have we got any roles going? So that, firstly, that's been super helpful. It cuts down on recruitment fees and it's great to be able to trust, you know, your other friends in the industry and people they recommend. And then I think, you know, we do also use some recruitment um, agencies which uh, are expensive, but get good, fast results. But are you constantly thinking ahead in terms of what kind of jobs that are going to need to be done over the next 18 months to keep up with that growth? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of thinking when we're going into discussions with a new retailer or a new partner or for a new country, I'm thinking, okay, if, if this comes off, who, who's going to look after it? Who's going to run it? Uh, how stretched are the team going to be? So, you know, we're, we're working on, on some more big retailers at the moment and I'm sort of looking to hire ahead of the curve right now and, and get ahead of that one. You'll probably so, get loads of inboxes now on LinkedIn when we launch this. <laughs> Yeah, is I mean, of course, because of I guess because of the not pleasant side of lockdown has been that when we do post a role, instead of get ten or twenty kind of applicants, we might get two hundred. Oh my god! Uh, which is you know really hard work to sift through and get back to people, and you do want to get back to people because you don't want to leave them hanging. 
So it's um it's been a really interesting year for that. I'm actually really proud we we didn't furlough anybody or, or make any redundancies and we carried on growing the team through through the past year. So that feels like a good result. It is a good result. Just to come back to because you've mentioned now that the first thing you said when I asked you about people resourcing up is you you went back to the coffee industry and you at the beginning of this interview, you know, you said that you call yourself a coffee company, coffee first company. Going back to that. You're growing the business exponentially. You're growing around the world. I mean, you can very easily imagine with international growth and more retailers on board in the UK, you know, this is going to be a 40 million, 50 million quid business Mm. in the next three years, right? Yeah. I'm saying that, you're saying that, but I mean, it will be. How do you make sure, how do you keep a grip on this coffee first culture and people in your business understanding coffee in the same way that the very first baristas who came on board, those first five people and the first 10 people have really come from that understanding, excellent, real, good today's world coffee. Yeah, um, it's a challenge. I I was, I think I was the first hire in the UK office that actually didn't come from a coffee background. And I'm sure he won't mind me saying it, but Stu was kind of that's our CEO, one of our founders. I'd been recommended to him by some of the people in the business and externally too. And he wasn't sure about hiring somebody that hadn't come from coffee. That's amazing. But he he knew he wanted to get the brand into retail and that perhaps the pool of people he'd been looking in hadn't, hadn't been able to help him do that. So I think there's a few ways of keeping that kind of culture alive. Um, Coffee knowledge is really important in the office. So we all do a bit of coffee training. We still do the the roasting, the, the grinding of the coffee and the cold brewing actually in the warehouse next to the office. So we we kind of see that all the time and you every day we smell that and feel that and come home and my jumper smells of coffee. We have a full sort of coffee shop sort of set up inside our office, in our kitchen. So everyone's kind of used to using the equipment and pouring flat whites and uh, doing latte art every day. So you kind of live and breathe that every day. We are still very embedded with doing events, you know, whether it be the various coffee festivals that happen in around the world um, and all of the sort of team will go to those. We do latte art throwdowns, which are kind of where we, where it, it's the, it's the coffee equivalent of a lock a lock in at a pub. So when uh, when the, the doors shut at, a, at specific coffee shops, we get a, a whole group of baristas and we we do competitions of who can sort of pour the best uh, latte art. And as a sales team, we'll go. So you're go basically to total geeks. Total geeks, yeah. So I'm really just getting under the skin and embedded within the coffee scene and community. I think is really important. So yeah, I would I would hope we can keep that that spirit and that culture alive, even, you know, if our revenue profile radically shifts to, I don't know, sort of 80, 90% of our revenue coming from, from grocery retail, which over time, of course it will. Yeah, it will. So, yeah, I think, I think those are the kind of keeping it alive in the office, keeping it alive in terms of team events, talking about it, training the team on kind of coffee, coffee language, coffee understanding, all, all of those so far, Touchwood have, have kind of kept that coffee culture alive. So it's really, really central to everything. And finally then, you know, you mentioned at the beginning this idea of refills in the packaging-free stores. Where can people find that and experience that? And do you have any kind of um, hearsay in terms of who's going in and using them? Yeah, it's um, 
It's a really exciting project. We got off the ground in sort of October and we've helped save over 60,000 Tetra Pak cartons from entering the supply chain since. And we know that the bag in box format, the refill format we have is 46% more carbon efficient than its Tetra Pak cousin. So we're reducing emissions by by more than a third, which is great. Um, we've got as... As I said earlier on, we've got about 101 of these refill stations around the UK at the moment. We've got a map on our website of where people can go and uh, fill up. Uh, We've got our first machines landing in to Ireland, into Dublin, uh, in the next month or so. Where are they going to be? There's a group called um, Source Bulk Foods, uh, and and they've got um, one, I believe, soon to be two stores in in Dublin. Um, so we'll be starting out there, and we've got a couple of other um, other retail partners coming on scene as well. So yeah, I mean, there's a package free kind of revolution coming. It's uh, it's it's already getting pretty big. Uh, it's it's the right thing to do. We're we're certainly the first ones in this space in in dairy alternatives dairies and kind of milkmen have been doing this for years with glass milk bottles and you know that you know so I, I, in, a, in a kind of great nostalgic way we're almost taking a step back but i think packaging is uh is a is such a big problem it's such a blight that kind of all brands in cpg fmcg need to need to kind of improve we we would love a a tetra pack that you can just you know chuck in the garden compostable waste but the technology isn't there yet so you know at the moment consumer need is outstripping technology it's not the final solution that we've kind of come up with the bag in box format but i think it's um it's a good it's a good next step for now and absolutely we're hoping to get it into some mainstream retail for trials as well this year Amazing. Okay. Well, listen, thank you so much for all of that. It's just such an exciting story and not one I think that loads of people maybe outside of London are aware of, or maybe I'm just totally out of the loop. But it's just fabulous. It's been really nice to get to know you, Ben. It really has on all of our chats and I love your products. And thank you so much for the gorgeous cup that you sent me as well. My pleasure. And I'm really looking forward to following your story and hopefully working with you a little bit at some point as well. It's been fabulous and well done. Well done to you and the team for, you know, doubling that growth since 2019. I mean, that is something else. Thanks, Faye. You must feel really proud of them and of yourself. Yeah, it's been been really great. It's really um, it's really great to see kind of, especially the product landing on more shelves. So hopefully more of that to come. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, thank you so much. I hope you have a lovely day and uh, we'll talk again soon. Cheers. Cheers.